you who don't know me, my name is Dale Edwards and I am the, my title is bigger than who I am. It's the Regional Executive Minister of the American Baptist Churches of Vermont, New Hampshire, which really sounds bureaucratic, doesn't it? And I've been trying to disassemble that for about 11 years now. And uh, I work with about 150 churches starting here in Salisbury, Mass, and up across through New Hampshire and Vermont, and all the way up to the Canadian border. And um, I describe our mission as we're kind of the infrastructure to do mission in these areas, one of the infrastructures. We're kind of like water and sewer pipes. You don't really see us a whole lot. But when you turn on the spigot and you need some help, we hope to be there as best we can. Um, I'd rather compare myself to a water pipe than a sewer pipe. But to tell you quick a little about myself, I'm a native New Hampshireite. I became a Christian when I was nine years old at an afternoon Bible club. Grew up in a little Baptist church where I was the only teenage boy who was a Christian. Did not meet another male Christian peer till I went away to a small Christian college. I remember a time in New England where it was colder than it is now. And I don't mean climate change. I remember when this was a spiritually colder place. So, to reveal my age, I've been a Christian for 54 years. And there's a lot of stuff I should know and do that I don't do after 54 years. You know? And I've been in ministry in some fashion for 38 years. And my wife, Laurie, has been with me. Her primary job at the moment is like chauffeur on Sundays. And Laurie and I both attended uh, Gordon Conwell Seminary at a time when you, if you were a husband and wife going through seminary, you were really a big novelty in the early 80s. So it's a pleasure to be with you, and I just rejoice in the spirit of our Lord that's in this place and the ministry and the community that you have here in Fireside Church. And as I have told Andy and Kate many times, please holler when you need me. Either myself or Ron or somebody will be there to do the best we can for you. My scripture this morning is Paul's letter, first letter to the Corinthians. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. These five verses are right between chapter 1 and chapter 3 and chapter 2, with Paul going and dealing with all this crazy, divisive church stuff happening in Corinth. Because some of the people are saying, well, we're disciples of Paul. And others are saying, we're disciples of Apollos. And some are saying, we're disciples of Cephas, meaning Peter. 
And some are saying, to heck with all of you, we're just following Jesus, man. Which makes us better than the rest of you. And Paul comes and he says, you know, I'm really nervous about even talking with you because I don't know what kind of reception I'm going to get. But let me tell you simply why I am here. So, beginning, whoops, beginning with verse 1 through 5. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words of wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray you take from us our distractions, our worries, our preoccupations, and we pray that we would hear your word fresh in all our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. I'd like to begin this morning by telling you a parable. It's one of my own parables. Like I said, I've been a Christian for 54 years. I grew up in the church, and I've been banging around doing some sort of ministry for 38. And I've become convinced that one of the ways I explain Christianity and the church in America is to say it's an awful lot like going into Ben and Jerry's. Anybody ever been into Ben and Jerry's? Been in the ben and, anyone been to the Ben and Jerry's factory up in Waterbury, Vermont? Yeah, I've been there a few times. Before I became old and had to make a lifestyle chain, my favorite flavor of Ben and Jerry's was Cherries Garcia. I could get a pint of Cherries Garcia with a squeeze bottle of Hershey's chocolate syrup and take the top off with a spoon and put on a layer of chocolate and eat through that and put on another layer of chocolate and eat through that. And I knew it was stress eating, you know, I'm a, I was a pastor, but it was an awful lot of fun too, you know. And, and then I would eat my way down through that nearly whole pint of Cherry's Garcia. And see, the trick of buying ice cream is to get a flavor your spouse does not like. Right? Yeah. So you want the chocolate mint already taken, I got the cherries Garcia. I am so convinced that part of the stress and hustle and bustle and wear in the Church of Jesus Christ is that through the great unfolding of history, the church became like going into a Ben and Jerry's. It's all ice cream, but there's like 75 different flavors. And honestly, some flavors have more add-ins than others, right? 
And if I can add it very honestly, and some flavors just plain have more nuts than others. I mean, some of the craziest things I've ever heard have come out of the mouths of other Christians. I was in a small Christian college, and I had a real close friend who used to cast calories out of food. Now, I have to tell you, I was never successful at that. But my good friend Glenn would sit down and, and look at a plate of pasta, and he'd say, in the name of Jesus, I got this big plate of spaghetti in front of me. In the name of Jesus, I'm casting out the calories so it won't hurt my body. The rest of the dining room table, they would look at Glenn and say, you're nuts. He said, yeah, but I'm the skinniest guy at the table. He said, I think God just blessed you with metabolism. The rest of us don't have that. You know, don't give me this, you're casting out the calorie stuff, man. So you get all these flavors of Christianity, and some have more add-ins than others, and some, frankly, have more nuts than others. But at its very core and very hard, it's all ice cream, because you notice at the core of that mix, the very foundation of ice cream is cream and sugar. Now hear me with this. The cream and sugar is Jesus Christ. You can't make ice cream without cream and sugar. I know people do it, but it's really not ice cream, right? Who in the world can make ice cream with oat milk or almond milk or something dumb and politically correct like that, right? Really? I mean, the heart of the ice cream is the cream and sugar. It's not the add-ins. It's not the cookie crumbles, it's not the marshmallows, it's not even the caramel and the chocolate and the cherries. The heart of the ice cream is the cream and sugar. And the cream and sugar is Jesus Christ. And as long as I can get to that cream and sugar, wow, it's ice cream and all this and from that foundation, I can love and embrace all the add-ins and all the flavors, and even the nuts. <laughs> Paul goes to Corinth, he's writing to Corinth, and you know, this is a crazy time. This is a brand new church. You want to find any problem in the modern, contemporary American church? It's already been there in Corinth. I mean, sin has a way of just going through the human condition century to century to century. We're not terminally unique. This stuff has been going on for a long time. I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Jesus. I was baptized by a Paul disciple. I was baptized by a Paul. Priscilla and Aquila, I was baptized by somebody who was a buddy of Peter. I, I, look at me. This is my identity. This is who I am. This is my theological nuance. I bet my eschatology is better than yours. And Paul writes to this crazy mix and says, 
I'm not coming to you with anything but to talk to you about Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified. Now, I'm a PCB. You know what a PCB is? It's a professional church bureaucrat. I don't want to go there. At the end of the day, tell me how many people have come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, how many lives have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit? At the end of the day, whose life has been shaken and turned upside down? Who has left their substance stuff behind? Who has left uh, a train wreck of a life behind? Who knows that God is with them in this very breath and they are also going to be with this same Jesus in eternity? Tell me who at the end of the day. Because everything else is meaningless except for this. And that's what Paul, I think, is saying. Everything here is meaningless except to know Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified and died and risen again. And at the end of the day, everything else pales and evaporates except for this Christ. I was saying to Connor and Andy when I came in, I said, I remember when I was younger, maybe I had more fortitude back then, but it was in the late 1990s in a very traditional church where we shifted from a black robe choir to a worship team. And I had an influx of young people into the church and it was just the beginning of that time where young people dyeing their hair. You know, I had the green-haired kids and the purple-haired kids and the red-headed kids. I saw my first tongue stud on this young lady, the big silver thing. I could hardly talk to her because the thing was always kind of reflecting light in my face. I did her wedding. She still had tongue stud in. The pastor's daughter was like 15 years old and she really liked this head hair dyeing thing, so my daughter started dyeing her hair to imitate these older kids. I was getting hate mail, anonymous hate mail. This is a really nice church till you came. Why don't you take your friends and get out of here? I had, I had these kids coming to church that never even knew what church was. There was not ever this spiritual thing going on. They were searching and they were looking and they would come to church and they would bring bagels and coffee with them. And they'd put it under the pew and wait for the sermon. And like popcorn at the movies, the bagels would come out and we would hear about a row and a half of wax paper coming off the bagels. <laughs> Now, I don't know, but in my church at the time, this became a topic of a deacon's meeting. Probably wouldn't have happened in any other church in the world in the late 1990s, but this was a deacon's meeting topic, and people were upset. And you want to talk about the Holy Spirit and the power of God being demonstrated, as Paul alludes to in these five verses? People are getting all upset. They're arguing. They're using all this us and them language. You know, what are we going to do about these kids? 
We're going to infiltrate them. We'll get some of us old types to sit in there amongst them. And when they start to take their bagels off, they'll nudge them and say, no, you can't do that. We're going to put up a sign on the front of the church that says, this is church etiquette rules and blah, 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 blah. I did some passive-aggressive stuff. I started bringing a cup of coffee into this sanctuary with me and drinking it up in the pulpit before I began the service. <laughs> now, is that a little, you know? And God had placed in this deacon's meeting an incredible, old, wonderful saint who's 86 years old, still a deacon, still functioning. He said, I want to tell you something. He said, there's a lot of things that are happening in this church right now that make me uncomfortable. But I'm 86 years old and I'm not going to be here much longer. I'd rather see those young people in church with their bagels and coffee and me be uncomfortable than then not see them here. And I tell you, the Holy Spirit worked and one 86-year-old say, solved the issue for me right then and there. And those young people kept coming to church. About half of them, I think, came to Christ. I baptized them. I did weddings. There was one couple, the couple that went on and became pediatricians. And I later heard that they were practicing in California doing short-term mission work every summer in Central America. And I look back at that whole season, chapter, incident, and say to myself, my God, what would we have lost for the sake of Christ's kingdom over a few cups of coffee and a couple of bagels? And I thank God for the demonstration and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that prevented us from doing stupid. For at the end of the day, if this is not about the unspeakable power and presence and love and grace of Jesus Christ as my Lord, my Savior, my friend, my Redeemer, at the end of the day, if this is not what this is about, then everything is meaningless. And we might as well be a sanctified Rotary Club that does good things. I was in Rotary for a while and they kicked me out for missing too many meetings. But churches don't kick you out for missing meetings, do they? Not too often. But Rotary sings. They do a lot of good things. They raffle off a bottle of alcohol at most meetings. We don't do that in church, of course. At least Baptist ever did. The reason this is so different and so countercultural and so absolutely wonderful, for we are meant to be the living body of Christ in time and history where the power and presence of him who died and rose from the dead curses through our veins and inhabits every breath we take. I worry sometimes, though, that in a consumer society, we approach the church as just another consumer product to enhance my life. Anybody remember Meatloaf? He just died this year. Anybody? Am I 
the only old guy, meatloaf, you know. I was in a, a group of young people a few weeks ago, and there was me and one older pastor sitting there, and we mentioned Paul Stuckey, and nobody else at the table knew who we were talking about. You talk about feeling old, yeah, look at, some of you are looking at me blank, you know, who's Paul Stuckey? But Meatloaf, Meatloaf, I think, had a song that, that really describes what the Church of Jesus Christ can become in a consumeristic age. Remember this old neat love song? I love you, I need you, but there ain't no way. Right? There ain't no way I'm ever gonna love you. But I can't really do a good neat love. I do a better Bob Dylan. <laughs> I do a knockout Tina Turner. But, no, <laughs> but, but two out of three ain't bad. And I'm afraid that when we reduce Jesus to my personal guru, it devolves down to meet love song. I want you, I need you, but there ain't no way. I never know. I went to a church as a 28 year old in 1986 that had voted the year before whether or not to close. They didn't tell me till I said yes. I got to the place where the only way I knew to go, how to go into the future was to go into that old church building that sat 250 people but seldom had more than 30 on a Sunday morning. and follow my face in the center aisle of the church in that traditional sanctuary and pray. I got to the place that's the only thing I knew how to do. <laughs> to literally lay flat and pray and cry before God in the place that was done. It added to some interesting experiences with the church's custodian early in the morning. <laughs> Look over. And then one morning we had a visiting worship team from London. This was about 1997. I'll never forget it. It was October 1997. They were singing a brand new worship song that was totally brand new by this up-and-coming Christian writer by the name of Graham Kendrick. <laughs> I like this. Graham Kendrick was brand new. And the church had grown some and prospered some, and I had some baptisms, but we were still struggling along. And the worship team said, we're going to teach you a new song that's right, hot off the press from London. It goes like this, all I once held dear. Anybody know that one? Is that gone out of style? Yeah. All I once held dear. And all of a sudden, the power and the presence and the Holy Spirit was demonstrated. Because in a northern church of a group of old Yankees, people started to cry. And I started to see for the first time some hands go into the air and people began to weep. It wasn't because there was a great sermon that morning. Sermon was boring. 
wasn't because we did some really good branding and marketing that day. It's because God chose to visit us. And people wept. And I remember one woman, a contemporary of Laurie and mine, going out the door and saying, I just have to go home today and sit with God and cry. Because God has been so close. And Paul says to the Corinthians and all the knots they've got themselves tied into, I've only come here for one reason, to speak to you of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I ask that you receive it. And I'm not coming because I'm really smart and I want to be part of a debate and I've got a lot of letters on the end of my name. I'm not coming because of all kinds of wise and impressive human words. I just want to come and see the Holy Spirit and the power of God flow through this place. Amen. Thank you.